hold on to it. Thanks. So this is about the book, Master Plan of Evangelism. Hopefully you already knew that because we're out of we're at about chapter six. So for me, it's not just the chapter, it's the book that's a real challenge. Um, because I ask myself, I see it, the book is really discipleship. It, it, hopefully you pick that up as, with the goal of evangelism. Coleman writes the book to help us to, in, to live out a method of raising up people who will raise up people who will reach the world for Christ. And he uses Christ's ministry as an example. And the question I ask myself is, and you'll, I'll ask you actually if you see your list of questions, is am I doing this? And the answer for me is no. No, I'm not doing this. I'm certainly not doing it the way Coleman talks about it. So that, that was why I really uh, cared. Uh, and you'll see that more as we go through it. Um, Dawson Trotman, how many here have been exposed to or trained by the Navigators? Okay, number of you. Campus Crusade? Okay, several of you as well. So Dawson Trotman, the guy who founded the Navigators, when he opened conferences would sometimes say, he'd look out at the audience, where is the man you're investing in to help him to become someone who will invest in still others? And we'll look at that for 2 Timothy 2 too. So, I mean, I'm struggling with that. Where's, where, obviously I'm up here alone, but you know, where's, my, where's my man to invest in? Uh, because I struggled with it, I divided it up into three parts. One is to talk about what Coleman talks about in this chapter, which is called delegation. It sounds sort of silly, frankly, but, but it's, a, it's a good principle, and you'll see what he means by it. Uh, the second is looking at 2 Timothy 2, 2, 2, 1 and 2, uh, on discipleship and spiritual multiplication. And then the third one is just sort of a freebie, some evangelistic tools in case somebody else uh, doesn't cover it. Just when we share the gospel, the most important thing, you'll see this, well, the most important thing is the Holy Spirit, but uh, taking the word of God and applying it to people's lives. But the most important instrument is probably is not a tool. It's you. It's me. It's our care for the person we're talking to and our availability to the Spirit of God. And Dallas covered this when he, which I thought was the best presentation he's ever done uh, so far, uh, when he opened this book and he talked about that. So, um, so well done, Dallas. But, you know, eventually you come to the point where the gospel has to get out. The real words of the gospel has to be present, have to be presented. So I'll show you some tools, many of which you're probably already familiar with, uh, if you want some some help. There's great stuff out there. Okay, next slide, please. So his topic is how Jesus delegated, and you'll see I put it in quotes because he really didn't delegate, of course. He didn't say, you guys go do that. Okay. No, he's, he said, I'm going to train you to do it, then I'm going to let you practice. I'm going to give you this, let you go out, and then see you come back and we'll talk about it. That's what Coleman means by delegation. So how did Christ train less than 100, and it's really probably less than 70, because you have the 70 that go out. Within that 70, the 12 were probably part of that 70, the 12 apostles. And then within that 12, you have the three, James, John, and Peter, that Christ specifically and specially focused on. And then you have within that the disciple loved, John, uh, who Christ has a special 
sort of a special heart relationship. And you could also put in Peter there as well, the rock on which the church and so forth. So uh, the chapter looks at, this is a, I'm not an aviator, a naval aviator, but it looks at how he launches and recovers. So launch and recovery, they don't land, they recover, um, most of them. Um, so in their initial steps in independent ministry, of course it's never independent. Effective ministry is never independent. It's always dependent on Christ. So how did he delegate it? Coleman does a really effective job, mostly drawing from Matthew 10. The first part is Matthew 1 through 9. For a year, they just stay with him. He doesn't have them do a whole lot, certainly not on their own. If, they, if, they, if God puts it on their heart to do a task, like baptism is the uh, example I gave you there in John 14, um, he'll help them do it and, and encourage them. But mostly he just wants them to be exposed to him. Then he sends them out in his power. He commissions them, reminds them of the purpose. Why are they going out? He talks about methods. He doesn't spend lots and lots of times, but he is very specific. He tells them, especially when he tells them, focus on Israel. And when you enter a village and you find someone who's worthy, that's the word Christ used, uh, who's worthy, stay with them. I think Coleman stretches it a little bit here. He says that that was really looking for others to train, looking for someone you can hand off to when you leave who can pick up. So, but okay, so we'll accept that. It's a good principle anyway, whether or not it's reflected in those verses. And then also in expect opposition, you know, expect to be hauled before kings and, and uh, grilled and be flogged. Other than that, things are okay. Um, but don't be intimidated by it. Remember that you're not alone, we are not alone, no matter what the opposition, even to our own deaths. We never go into that uh, apart from God with us. The next thing is he didn't send them alone. He sent them out in pairs. And there are lots of good reasons for that. If you've ever done evangelism, like formal evangelism, cold turkey evangelism, it sure helps if there's somebody else with you knocking at that door. Um, Amusing, at least amusing to me, story. So I uh, was a non-Christian at the Naval Academy. These guys, these navigator guys, go around and knock on doors and, you know, just talk to people about Christ because it was an environment where that was that was fine. It's, and it worked. God used it. Thinking, <laughs> I will never do it. Next year I was doing that. So, you know, it's the way it goes. Um, but he didn't send them alone. One of the things you do if you do evangelism like that Having two of you, one of you is praying while the other one's presenting, and that really helps. Another one's encouragement. Hey, that didn't go so well, but the next one will go better. And the third one, of course, is accountability. Help us keep on task, not get distracted. There wasn't much to distract you at the Naval Academy. Um, and then he brings them back. He recovers them. Let's talk about what happened. Tell me, and remember, he tell, here's the 70. You know, the angels were subject to us, and he... Then he's, okay, I understand that's really encouraging. Remember, the key thing is your names are written in, in uh, the book of life. And then he rests them. He helps them to come apart and get some time to sort of recharge. So that's Christ's pattern of delegation. So what does that mean for us? When we are investing in someone, we need to step back occasionally. You know, some would say, okay, try it on your own. And it'll probably work okay, God willing. Or it won't, but in either case, 
we can bring them back, what worked, what didn't, and help them to grow and go out the next time. Because the goal, and we'll get to this in the next slide, is to equip them to equip others. We'll equip others. Next slide, please. So that's this. Uh, key verse, I think, for what uh, Coleman talks about, really in the whole book, but especially in this chapter. 2 Timothy 2, 1 and 2. We usually focus just on 2. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me before many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So four generations, Paul, Timothy, the men that Timothy is going to entrust it to, and then the men that they are men and women that they are going to teach. So four generations represented there, expanding out as time goes on. Because if we just add, it goes pretty slowly. If we multiply, it can go faster. Now, we can take a very mathematical point of view on that and say, okay, well, let's, you know, in three years, we'll have evangelized the world. Well, of course, it, that's not God's, the way God's worked it out. But the gospel is moving forever in history and in tremendous and dramatic ways, particularly in Africa and Asia. I mean, you guys have, have all heard those stories. Sometimes at great cost, um, not financial cost, but the cost of lives. Um, so notice that he starts off this section not in power. He's saying, because, you're, because you have this power, because you have this authority, he starts off with grace. That's easy to lose sight of. When you're helping somebody to grow in Christ, it's easy to sort of get, drink a little of the elixir of, of uh, I'm so great and I'm helping this guy. Why isn't this guy listening? Uh, instead of operating in the grace of God. But... I got there through grace, you get there through grace, and we'll walk throughout in grace, and only by that. Looks to Christ as an example, and obviously the source of that grace, that unmerited favor. Now, Paul has already told Timothy in chapter 1 to continue to follow the truth, and now in chapter 2, he's helping him to train others to do that as well. So, a couple words, you know I like to do this, but endynamo, um, I'll probably get criticized by the Greek speakers for mispronouncing it. But So that's the strength of soul and purpose. It's not full strength. It's and not even necessarily emotional strength. You've probably all seen, and women are famous for this, um, you know, some, some little old lady who has trouble lifting her own groceries, but there's a better step back. She is indomitable, particularly in things of the Lord. Uh, matter of fact, my wife uh, goes out and uh, prays at abortion clinics with an, uh, a woman, a, not a young woman, about 85. Um, and she is, you know, maybe this tall in her stocking feet. Yeah, probably this tall, yeah, in her stocking feet. Um, and she stands there, holds her sign, and they pray. And that doesn't stop. So uh, strength she has is that strength of soul and purpose. And notice, just as Paul did, or the writer of Hebrews did. So you think about Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight. And then he goes on. So here he does something similar. He increases the solemnity of the charge to Timothy by invoking the witnesses. The people who listened to Paul train Timothy. Timothy, these folks heard me train you and charge you to do this, 
remember that they're going to be holding you accountable. Just as in the heavenlies, that cloud of witnesses we have, but they aren't just holding you us accountable, they're cheering us on. So, and similarly here, people, we need to be cheering each other on in this ministry as out with the love and the gospel of Christ. Uh, and trust, the word is an interesting one. It means to sort of, as you can see there, to put beside. So I walk up to somebody and I hand them a bagel and put it right beside them. And so to me, the thing that struck me about that, it requires a response on the part of the hearer. I can't just give it to the person and, and the task is done. The person has to respond and to take the charge, to take the trust I've given to it. So that's important when we reach out, when we do invest in the lives of others, obviously the person we're investing in to be to want to do it because otherwise we're just sort of pouring, you know, it's like in junior high when you took somebody's water glass and you put cellophane over the top of it and you watch them pour, pour water into it and spill it all over, all over the table. I never did that, but um, <laughs> but it takes a response on the part of the, it just rolls off. Uh, faithful, reliable in the execution of commands or the discharge of fulfilled duties. So, but it's, it's not just doing what you're told, it's discharging those duties. So we've all had, probably had subordinates who did what they were told, and that's all. Didn't tell them to do it, it didn't get, get the task done. I'm not going to wait for the boss to tell me exactly what to do. So the faithful men that we're looking at are the latter. Able, sufficient in ability, competent, fit to do it. And then teach didascos, uh, we get our word didactic from to discourse with others in order to instruct. It's not just um, slogans. It's not just memorized things. It's instruction. We have to, we need to help people understand what's really going on, what the scripture really says, to be able to pass that on to others. Not just memorize a bunch of things. Memory can be critically less substantive stuff. Next slide, Dave. There we go. There we go. No, no, no more work. There we go. Yeah. So evangelistic tool. Again, the most important evangelistic tool, aside from the Spirit of God and the Word of God, is you and your care for the hearer. We've all heard the, the saying, uh, people won't care how much you know until they know how much you care. It is important. Even, if it, even in brief encounters, um, to know that you're interested in them as a person, not as a project. Uh, the second evangelistic tool is your testimony. What has God done with you? No one can argue with your testimony. It's what happened to me. Okay, you may, may or may not believe it, but it's what happened to me. I was there. Um, tracks and illustrations. So you've seen them before, but just in case you haven't. Okay, this is the bridge track the navigators use. Campus Crusade has a similar one. This one is in Spanish, of course, but... Um, Four spiritual laws. There are bunches of them, lots of different kinds, whatever you're comfortable with. It's good to have them with you <coughs> in case you do need to, you know, just share, communicate in graphic form the content of the gospel. And they do a very effective job of that. I came to Christ through the bridge track stuff. So books. Remember our speaker, that, what was the Coast Guard Admiral's name? Okay. He talked about this book, How Good is Good Enough, Andy Stanley. You can get them there quite cheap. Uh, get them packs of five. Um, 
it really is a good little booklet for folks who are much like perhaps you were. Eh, I'm a pretty good guy, really, compared to, you know, Dallas. I'm I'm a good guy, okay, something like that. So, so I think I'll make it. I'll be good. Well, how good do you have to be? And that's what this book deals with. It's very conversational. You don't. It doesn't matter if you have any spiritual training or not. But it talks about that across many faiths. That idea of I'm good enough. And then this. This is the Jesus film. You've probably, I'm sure you've heard of it, if not seen it. Uh, you can get this for about two fifty uh, from JesusFilm.org. That website there. The real advantage of this is if you're, you know, if you know somebody, you've gotten to know them over time, but English is not their first language, and so you're not sure if the concepts that you're talking about in terms of spirituality are really sinking in, just because, not because they're unintelligent, but because of the language barrier. This version here, which is not, which is uh, non-Blu-ray, has 25 languages including all the big ones. It really is helpful. You can say, okay, here is a presentation on the life of Christ, including the gospel, because they do a presentation at the end, in your language, spoken by a native speaker. Uh, the DV, the Blu-ray version actually has, I think, 43 languages. So um, it can be a good tool in that. And obviously, it's not something you're going to hand out on a street corner, but for somebody you've gotten to know, it could be could, can be helpful, uh, like your barber, which is how I've used it. Okay, questions. My question for you as my question for myself, am I doing this? Am I investing in the lives of others to train them to win people to Christ and in turn still others to do the same? So yes or no, for me the answer was no. So. Now that doesn't mean that, hey, I'm not following God. It means that I'm not, I haven't incorporated the pattern that Coleman talks about. So. You know, we have to wrestle individually. What would God have me take away from that to put into practice in my Christian life, to accept the challenge that I invest in others to invest in still others? And then, do I need to do this to satisfy God? I'll, okay, I'll cheat a little bit. I'll give you the answer. No. Okay? You don't need to do this to win points with God, to gain his favor. You can't be more loved by God doing this than by not doing it. How could God love you more? How could the sun shine more brightly on you based on what you've done? Can't happen. So do I need to do this to satisfy God? No. Do I need to do it to please him? Perhaps. Uh, do I want to do it? And then should I do it? It's not a great question, but for me it was good. It reflected sort of my wrestling in that. And then what might it look like in my life with my family, my job, my real life, Realistically, to take the first steps or the next steps to invest in the lives of others, to see God build spiritual multiplication into my life. And then who might be able to help me? I'm happy to do if anybody wants to wants uh, some help on that. And you can help me do that. Okay, so that's your questions. I'm at 627. You're turned back to your bagels. <laughs>